0: Welcome to PantherCast, the official podcast of TMI Episcopal, where we share stories from our alumni, updates about the school, and help you reconnect and discover what the TMI community is all about. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of TMI's PantherCast podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gish, Director of Community Relations. Once again, I'm pleased to bring you the audio of our Senior Chapel Talks from this past week by Carolyn Vasser. Grant Kale, and George Seeley Ray, TMI class of 2019. Our first featured talk is by Carolyn Vassar. Carolyn started attending TMI her freshman year and is hoping to attend NYU, George Washington, or Georgetown University next fall, where she plans to study sociology, public relations, or political science. When not in class, you'll find Carolyn cooking or catching up on sleep. Thank you for listening, and now enjoy this senior chapel talk.
1: We are creatures guided by our opinions. Some of these opinions can be borrowed from our families, friends, or role models, but generally speaking, our personal opinions carry the most weight in our lives. For example, I would argue that musicals are the greatest form of entertainment known to man, while you might claim that movies about superheroes are far more superior. It's easy for us to see the world in one individually personalized way. We go through our days observing the world around us, and consciously or unconsciously, making decisions about how we believe something should look, sound, or feel. It's easy for us to adopt a narrow field of vision, even when the world and its inhabitants have so much more to offer. This past summer, I was blessed with the opportunity to go on two uniquely transformative trips. The first of these was a trip to London with my aunt, a theater director at a high school outside Dallas. Her department was sponsoring an immersive school trip across the Atlantic Ocean, complete with sightseeing and professional theatrical performances. Being the musical-loving British royalty fanatic I am, how could I ever refuse? Of course, I went on the trip, traveling with people I had never met and making friendships I'll always cherish. I saw structures with more history than I can fathom and gardens more beautiful than any picture could convey. I entered Shakespeare's birthplace, explored Kensington Palace, traveled in the underground, and crossed the breathtaking Millennium Bridge, famous for its cameo in the film Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Needless to say, I was having a blast exploring this new place and its iconic landscape. Now, all of these experiences were, of course, memorable, but none were quite as impactful as the less noticeable things, the subtle nuances suddenly visible when you're in a culture that's not your own. For instance, on the third day in the UK, our group was traveling by bus and made a stop at a Waitrose, a British supermarket. One of my friends was irritated upon returning to the bus because he felt disrespected by the brashness of the employees at the store. He was irritated by what he surmised as lack of customer service, something he was used to being the norm in the States. Of course, the UK was no culture shock as compared to the US, but it was noticeably different. Rules of etiquette there are distinct from ours, overzealous hospitality is not the norm, and of course, they drive on the left side of the road. None of these are particularly jarring experiences for an American but they are stark lessons in the reality that all of us humans view the same concepts like public transportation or theater etiquette with different expectations. Perhaps these realizations began to prepare me for the lessons I would learn on my second trip of the summer. A few weeks after returning from London, I flew to Washington DC to attend a two week program entitled the Global Young Leaders Conference. I was placed in a group representing Nigeria, tasked with taking on the persona of that country. The entire summit essentially revolved around the United Nations' sustainable development goals. I was working on goal number four, quality education. My goal was to take what Nigeria needed in a UN-sponsored education program and make sure after a long process of negotiation and strategy that those needs were met by the final resolution. In this process, I learned how difficult it can be to attack one issue when so many differing opinions and perspectives exist it was eye-opening to try and work together with other countries who had severely different concerns from ours. For example, Nigeria wanted new schools built, sufficient learning materials acquired, and uniform educational training for instructors. Japan, on the other hand, wanted improved technology in schools and more free time for students after school. Clearly, both of us presented valid issues according to our country's needs, but neither proposal addressed the other country's concerns. Essentially, all the countries were coming to the same issue from different angles. That would be like having two students leave their houses at the same time, one from Alamo Heights and one from the Dominion, and expect them to arrive at TMI at the same time. It's just not that simple. Each person would follow a different route and face different obstacles along the way. You can't expect something easily done in five minutes by one person to be done in the same time by someone with different circumstances. The same logic applies to much bigger issues, like achieving global standards of quality education. Now, of course, I can't lay out for you any mind-shattering realization about how to solve the issue of unequal education across the globe. That is far too complicated an issue for me to even scratch the surface. However, what I can say is that because of facing this problem, I have begun to educate myself on issues from varying perspectives. I've learned that no matter how far reaching an issue is, whether it's global, national, regional, or local, there are going to be differing, sincere perspectives, and all of them are legitimate. We don't always get to see the reality of life on this earth for others. And when we do, it's generally from our own perspective, a perspective that often gives way to a narrowly framed opinion. Being part of a pseudo-UN committee forced my mind to address issues from positions that are not my default. I had to take a step back and reconsider issues from different starting points. I don't think it's right to accept our initial perceptions and opinions as truth. I believe it is essential to approach anything and everything with the understanding of complexity. In every experience I have, from trivial bickering to ideological debates, I try to achieve a whole truth. What I mean by this whole truth is that there are positives and negatives to every perspective, and thus it is not essential to pick one to be the superior viewpoint. Rather, we must accept each perspective into the greater picture, because with each new addition, we get closer to a more whole truth and progress towards a community that understands each other. Now, think back to the story about my friend after his waitrose experience. The employees of the store were not being intentionally rude to him. They might have been curt or concise in their responses, but that's essentially the norm in the UK. It is not expected for people to go far out of their way to be overly hospitable. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just the culture. Okay, obviously, I know this is a trivial example to delve into cultural misunderstanding, but it gets the point across. My friend went into a foreign place expecting the same type of consumer engagement he is used to at home. He didn't consider the difference in social expectations, and he got frustrated because of it. While this is not a misunderstanding capable of starting wars or enraging the internet, Similar interactions between people who don't understand each other are far too common in this society of ours. I urge you to force yourself to see different perspectives from your own, to understand that while your angle is important, it is by no means the only one. Let me be clear in saying that I'm not telling you to throw your intuition out the window. That's not the goal. The goal is to be open-minded, to actively consider other perspectives, and to not confine yourself to a limited frame of thought. You might consider taking a look at some awesome movie musicals, and I might consider watching some superheroes save the world. I know it's rarely as simple as watching a new movie, but I hope this encourages you to consider different perspectives in your everyday life, including among your friends, your family, or even in the controversial issues that swirl around us every day. There is a whole world of people and perspectives out there, all of them coming from different starting points. Accept the complexity of this world, and you will thrive. Have compassion, be informed, and strive for the whole truth. Because it's never as simple as it may seem. Thank you.
0: Our second featured talk is by Grant Kale. In his talk, Grant asks the community, What is your passion? He shares how his love for robotics has shaped him and not just become part of his life, but who he is. No matter what your own goals are, Grant said to the community, find your own passion. Thank you for listening, and now, enjoy this Senior Chapel talk.
2: Let me take you back in time, about ten years. I was only seven years old, and my parents, like most, wanted me to be involved in everything. From sports, like football, to basketball, to other things, like Boy Scouts and church youth group. It always pushed me from a young age to be active in all aspects of my life. You see, both of my parents have doctorate degrees in chemistry and biochemistry, and it's not a surprise that they wanted me to to be involved in STEM activities. Now, STEM, or science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, can mean a lot of things. It can mean going to summer camp for math, or participating in science fair. But for me, it has always been robotics. Now, I would be lying if I said that as a seven-year-old, I wanted to spend my time indoors learning to program and learning about biomedical issues. But I got through that first year. Knowing nothing about robots or how to make them move, much less anything about biomedical engineering, I became a sponge, taking in everything that I possibly could from my parents and peers. I learned many basic things about engineering and the engineering method, including certain ways to make things structurally sound and hopefully not fall apart. I was molded by everyone, taking on their ideas and techniques. By the time I was in middle school, the concept of robotics and engineering was no longer foreign to me, and I was capable of building complex machines, and I was more proficient at programming. I was able to fully program an remote-controlled autonomous robot. Around this time, people started recognizing me as the robotics kid, the guy who could fix anything around school. I would often be called out of class to go fix computers for other teachers, and my peers would come to me and ask me to build random things that they could not. My classmates and teachers began to depend on me, to help and teach them to design and make things. During this time, I gained a sense of self-confidence in myself and my abilities that i never had before. A newfound confidence gave me the courage to try new things like designing, building, and flying quadcopters. This led me to learn about the physics of flight and how to program and fine-tune flight controllers, as well as how to make aerial art. I began branching out my skills into all aspects of my life, trying to take apart and hopefully put back together everything I could get my hands onto. Around this time, engineering became my passion my one love that I wanted to dedicate all my time to doing. During the summer leading to my freshman year, I, along with other robotics enthusiasts in San Antonio, came together and entered an underwater robotics competition. I would like to be humble and say that our first year we did decently well, but we blew the competition out of the water, scoring over 150 points from the second place team. The next year, we started off our second season the sense of confidence way bigger than our heads, and we believed that we were unstoppable. I personally felt like I was becoming a great engineer and using my own creativity. In previous years, I'd always stuck to the book, following old designs and previously tested formulas. But That year, I wanted to spice it up. I scrapped everything and started fresh from the ground up. I built enough confidence in my abilities that I knew anything was within reach. (laughs) I completely redesigned that robot and overhaul the control systems. I was bolstering with confidence. Oh, you should have seen the curves, the edges, the way that frame was just perfectly symmetrical. No other robot ever looked as good as this one. But my bubble was soon to be popped. My robot may have looked amazing, but it was not great. In fact, it was probably more like a floating paperweight. It was truly a humbling experience in showing me that I still had a lot to learn. Now, I'm no stranger when it comes to failure. This one one time hurt the most since it was my beautiful creation. But I took my punches and I'm thankful for each and every one of them because from the ashes of that failure came new ideas and determination. Like on the football field, when someone knocks you to the ground, you don't lay there. You get back up and hit them even harder with more determination than ever. When things went wrong, I took it in stride and try to get better each time, growing in my own way. By my junior year, I had again rebuilt the robot from the ground up, but I used my failures and ideas to make it a successful machine. I had grown into an engineer with my own design and style. Much like how an artist has his or her own personal touch, I had found mine in elegant and functional design. That same year, my robotics team made an international competition we placed 23rd overall in the world. The logical progression of my thoughts culminated in the development of this really cool vehicle. This thought process has found its way into every aspect of my life, from athletics to English class. I try to analyze everything with the same methodical thought process that I do with engineering. Engineering is my life. It's one of the core pillars who makes me who I am, and makes me the person that you see before you. It's my passion and my love. So what is your passion? What is your love? What makes you, you? Maybe you want to be an astronaut, a scientist, English major, teacher, or maybe even a botanist. Regardless of what it is, everyone should find that one thing that they love. Now I'm not talking about video games or binge watching your favorite TV show, but the real meat and potatoes of life, The one thing you could spend your life on and never regret it. I'm not saying that you'll know now. It's not a singular moment of eureka. Instead, it's small, multiple moments building upon each other to create a true passion. It took me 10 years to build and find mine. And for many of you, you're years out from finding yours. Regardless of when you find it, everyone needs to find that spark in themselves. And it's okay if you do not know what your passion is now. For me, engineering has always been a part of my life, and slowly becoming my cornerstone, a foundation that I've built my life around. I've been building upon it and growing to unknown heights, and it has started to help me uh, build, branch out to new directions. <laughs> I don't know if you remember fidget spinners, but if I hadn't been interested in robotics engineering, I wouldn't have been the supplier for one of the biggest crazes in San Antonio nor would I have made enough money to fund my projects to this day. Engineering has led me down a path of entrepreneurship that I would never have found otherwise. I've created my own small business out of making and selling everything from pens to fidget spinners, which all started with my love for engineering. Passion gives life its spice. It's a driving force behind innovation in our modern world. You need to find your passion and pursue it. You may not know what it is now, and that's okay. Try new things, and even if you think it's lame at the time, you never know if that one thing will lead to a lifetime of passion and happiness. Thank you.
0: Our final chapel talk from last week is by George Seely Ray. George has been at TMI since the eighth grade. He's hoping to attend Baylor or St. Edward's University next fall where he plans to study business. When not in class, you'll most likely find him relaxing and watching a movie in his spare time. Thank you for listening, and now, enjoy this Senior Chapel Talk.
3: I bet that every single one of you has heard this phrase before. Learn from your mistakes. I'm pretty sure that when I first heard this quote, my elementary school brain couldn't comprehend those words. My dad has been repeatedly telling me this since I was very young, and for most things I have done what he asked and learned from my mistakes. Mistakes are common nature, however, and can eventually become habits. Today my talk is about a mistake that became a habit, a mistake that I would forever regret getting into the habit of, and I don't want any of you to make the same mistake as me. This mistake is procrastination. However, unlike most people, I have a habit of procrastinating to the extreme. Most of you are now thinking, well, that's like everyone else. No, it's not. (laughs) I would procrastinate until around 3 a.m. for big assignments, which I totally didn't do for this one, by the way, and would put off doing work because I wanted to do something that I thought was fun, rather than do another boring thing like work on a school paper. My life was just as amazing as it could be. I grew up in a public school system from pre K until the third grade. I had some interesting qualities, including being awkward, being shy, and being weird. <laughs> if I could go back and change anything that I did, it would be how old I was when I learned how to tie my shoes. You see, I learned how to tie my shoes in the second grade, which is already a solid start to a talk about procrastination. (laughs) Eventually, I switched schools from public school to a private school in the fourth grade. And believe me, I was not prepared for this. I had an assignment book, which was like an ancient artifact, and I would accidentally forget that we had tests on certain days. And to make matters worse, starting in the fifth grade, I would not do my homework Until the very last minute. This was because it was the first year that my parents trusted me to do my homework on my own, and I decided that I would take advantage of that instead of doing the work like i had been taught and raised to do. This worked through middle school, and I made decent grades while I was there, but the only reason that was possible was because this school was way easier. My parents said to me that I wasn't living up to my true potential and that I should be trying a lot harder than I was but I did not believe this. I had convinced myself that I was fine. Then came freshman year of high school. This is where everything changed. (laughs) All that procrastinating became a huge problem that I tried to break during the second semester of my freshman year. We were assigned a project that would cover the whole semester, and in the contents of that project, there were smaller projects that would have to be done. With these smaller projects, there were news articles within them. Our topic was a current event, and we were supposed to write about a news article every week on Friday. This didn't seem like a lot, but after a couple of missing news articles, I realized that this was heavily affecting my grade. I had not taken the time to look at the smaller things because I had procrastinated so long that eventually I had just not done the smaller parts. Eventually I had to turn in the project, which was due at midnight. I submitted the project at around 11.52 eight minutes before the due date, not because it took me that long to make revisions, but because I had procrastinated so much that I waited until the last hour to start my corrections. It worked out in the end, but that project wasn't enough to make my overall grade where I wanted it to be. There are sometimes good reasons for me procrastinating. This happens rarely, but sometimes a teacher reschedules an assignment and my procrastination instinct would make me not have done the assignment on the original due date. This also makes me seem like I read minds, since everyone else has done the assignment, but I knew that it was not going to be completed. (laughs) However, don't get carried away by this part of the message, as this is not what I'm trying to talk about. Good outcomes don't usually come from procrastinating, and you're lucky if you don't get a good outcome from procrastinating, because in my life, it hasn't happened that often. My relationships with people are complicated, Almost everyone that I know understands that I procrastinate a lot. They know that I keep on doing it even though I struggle with it. The most affected by this are my parents, making the same mistake over and over again, and they were there to witness it all. It would have been frustrating. They started getting angry with me easier, and they put a lot of pressure on me. They would constantly tell me I didn't try and that I needed to try more. This constant feeling of anger never stopped. My friendships are complicated as well, as they can't trust me for most types of responsibility because they know that I procrastinate. I often volunteer to help in the planning of things with my friends, but I'm never given full responsibility for anything up until recently. Relationships with teachers are also extremely complicated. I don't usually have good relationships with my teachers because they eventually figure out that I don't appear to care that much about my work and that I procrastinate a lot. (laughs) Obviously, I don't get as good of grades as I should be getting, so it frustrates both my parents and my teachers. What I didn't realize when I was younger is that teachers care about their students, and when one or more students don't care about their class, it frustrates them. They know that that person has potential. So I urge you all not to procrastinate, because procrastinating has turned from a simple mistake to a habit that I have to work hard on getting rid of. In all seriousness though, don't be lazy. I seriously encourage you all not to make mistakes like this one because it has severely affected my life. I really hope that you enjoy this talk, but at the same time, these talks are meant to be a learning tool for students in both the middle and high school. And I really want you to take this one seriously. I would like to thank all of my teachers, my parents, and TMI for having faith that I could fix my mistakes and never giving up on me. I love you all, thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to TMI's PantherCast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please leave us a review on iTunes or anywhere that you listen to podcasts. We'd love to hear your feedback and show ideas, so leave us a comment, email, or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter using at TMI Episcopal. For more news, ways to connect, and to learn about upcoming events on campus, visit our website at www dot tmi dash sa dot org